0: Hello, this is Adam S Leslie, co-host of this very podcast. A quick plug before we start, my folk horror novel, Lost in the Garden, is now out and available in all good bookshops, including Blackwells and Waterstones. And now back to your regularly scheduled RetroTube. part two of the Cardboard Cinema Club episode on a hard day's night with RetroTube's very own Heather Wainwright If you haven't done so already please pop over and subscribe to Cardboard Cinema Club for more delicious content like this. Thank you Grandpa has never seen mouths work before. Do you know can you work out what there's a reference to?
1: Grandpa's never seen what work before
0: Mouths mouths. Yes. There's a bit where they're singing I should have known better in the the animal cage in the train. And Grandpa is sitting next to Paul and he's he's watching Paul and he's sort of looking baffled and moving his mouth along as if he's never seen anyone singing before. He seems really confused by Paul singing.
1: I hadn't ever noticed that before.
0: Yes, watch that next time. It's it's an odd little moment.
1: I will do. I think it's it might just be because Paul minds very dramatically.
0: <laughs> it could be.
1: <laughs> and I mean this with no disrespect to anybody, but, like, Paul oh, really sort of, wow, that's that's certainly a way to shape a word.
0: Yes, yeah, so I think Paul does everything about 120% in this film. I don't snort, you do repeatedly. That's a great joke. It's full of great jokes. You couldn't get a pen in your foot, you swine. I don't even know what that means. It's just, it's just <laughs> <funny>. <laughs>
1: I don't know why it's funny,
0: but it is. So we got the disco scene in the night. They go to the Le Cirque Club. I couldn't, we were talking about this before. I couldn't work out whether the Le Cirque Club was a real club or whether it's a Dr. No reference. Because you sent me a thing. I did, yes. You were watching Dr. No and it had a reference to Le Cirque Club in, and whether this so A Hard Day's Night is a reference to it or whether it's a genuine posh club in London from the early 60s. I used Google and that didn't work, so I gave up. I want to talk about Don't Bother Me. Okay, let's talk about that. Which is one of the it's not on the soundtrack, it's uh, one of the songs that they're dancing to in the disco.
1: It's from With The Beatles. Yeah,
0: and I think it's a great song. It's one of those songs. I love Don't Bother Me. Everyone says, "Oh well, it was George's first go. It's not that great and he got a much better li- writer later on." Nah. I think I think it's it's his best song at least until Taxman.
1: Yes, I agree. It's catchy. It's very relatable.
0: Mm. It's very, it's very relatable for somebody who's grumpy like you. Yes. I mean, it's yes. the most George song, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> don't I've me. got no
1: time for you right now. Don't bother me.
0: If he'd written a song called "I Don't Care," I don't then care. that might have.
1: <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I feel like all George fans should be either issued with a tattoo
0: or a t-shirt of just <laughs> "I don't care." I don't care. I don't care. Uh, Yes, but it's, it, it's got interesting hooks, it's catchy, it's got lots of different bits to it, it's got a nice melody.
1: You can definitely dance to it. You can mean, dance more, to
0: it. What more do you want from a song? What are they expecting? It uh, has stops and starts.
1: It, it does all of the things, and George sings it.
0: And if you listen very closely, you you wouldn't be able to hear it on the film, but if you listen very closely to, through your headphones, mm. uh, you can hear George off to one side going, it's too fast. <laughs>
1: Grumpy Jory
0: recording. <laughs> yeah. yes. It's too fast, but no one cares. We're still gonna play it like this. It's too fast. Around about here, you get a few other good guest stars. We get Margaret Nolan, who we've talked about on. Uh...
1: We love Margaret Nolan.
0: We do. She's also the Gold Lady in Goldfinger. Not the not the murdered Gold Lady, but the one in the opening titles, and who immediately turns up as a masseuse as well. She
1: can she can do anything. She can be gold. Can give a
0: guy a massage. <laughs> Jeremy Lloyd is the man jumping up and down in the nightclub. There's also a, he attracts the eye so much because he's so tall with his his nose mm. doing his jumping. Uh, he's in uh, help as well, isn't he? He's he's a diner, a patron at um, yes at the Indian restaurant. Yes, he is.
1: Yeah.
0: But also there's there's a very tall lady who's dancing with him as well. Who who is very good. She's doing sort of a, a nice, weird, goofy dance.
1: She wears some very nice shoes. Oh,
0: does she? I didn't know. Pointed toes
1: thing. and the sling back and they're very, very pretty,
0: very pretty. Charlotte Rampling is somewhere in this scene as well. I think she's maybe the woman who has her boot on a gentleman's lap.
1: Oh, yeah. Is is she the one who's like eating crisps or popcorn or something? I very think so, yeah. very there's, attractively.
0: There's a, there's a man cupping her boot. I just like saying Can't boots because George Harrison says it later. Hey, Shay, where's my boot? Exactly. Where's my boot? Um, so I, I think that might be Charlotte Rampling. Possibly. But she's in there somewhere. And then yes, that's the shaving scene. And John in the bath is possibly the most John bit in the entire film. Yes. Where he's he's doing his nonsense German.
1: Ah, it's just in there Like Miss Fiegel hangar flag and zool.
0: Torpedoed again, eh? Oh. <laughs> yeah, and then he disappears. And it, so this is proof that John is in fact just a mischievous sprite. Yes. The fact that he disappears from it from within the foam of the bath and appears later. When Norm seriously thinks he's gone down the plug hole,
1: George said he was in the bath. How was he not in the bath? George would never <laughs> lie to me.
0: No. George would
1: never play me this way.
0: <laughs>
1: but no, he wasn't in the bath. He didn't just think, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe George was just joking with me. George would never joke. George would never.
0: What are you messing around with that boat for?
1: There's a car waiting. Come on, let's go.
0: George is the clumsy beetle because also. There's the bit where they're doing one of the songs. I forget which one. Where he he tries to lean on his amp. And oh falls, yes, if I, felt, and if I fell, sheepish. That's right. That's hilarious. I love that. He looks really sheepish.
1: He does because he was just like leaning on it to try and be cool, and then yeah. the whole thing fell off and he's Like, oh no, I terrible. a bot A Abort. abort. <laughs> <laughs> I did not mean to do that. <laughs>
0: I think the film really picks up when Victor Spinetti turns up.
1: Yeah, Victor Spinetti's always good. Wearing a terrible jumper. <laughs> a jumper so terrible it ends up in the script.
0: It's awful. I actually don't know how much of it's improvised, because I know they improvised a lot, so it may, it may be improvised.
2: Standing about, eh? Some people have it dead easy. You're one sheet over 30, you're past it. It's a young man's medium. I just can't stand the piss. Oh, he's as young as that then I was. Ah, there he goes, look at him. I bet his wife doesn't know about her. He I bet he be. hasn't even got a wife. Look at his sweater. <laughs> <laughs> you never know she might have knitted him. She knitted him.
0: I'm wondering if one of my favourite gags in the film is improvised or if it's scripted. It's when they're set up in the studio to start playing one of the songs. <laughs> and John says, I know kids, let's do the show right here. Which is a great subtle joke because it's a play on all those silly early 60s beach movies where they're trying to get to the gig and they get waylaid and they end up you know, in a barn on a farm or something like that or yeah. you know, end up on a beach and they go, I know, let's, let's do the do show the right, right here. here. But of course, the, the Beatles are in exactly the correct place for doing the show. So John says, I know, kids, let's do the show right here. Which I think is a, like a, a subtle gag. It's not a laugh out loud funny gag. It's quite a subtle one. But I'm wondering if that's actually... John improvising.
1: It's not a laugh out loud gag unless you're Paul McCartney, who absolutely oh, wet he, himself.
0: He does. Which also makes me think it's John improvising.
1: It, yeah, because it definitely John didn't sound it certainly didn't sound like an acted laugh. It would certainly know if he's your grandfather who knows <laughs> No. Hey kids, I
2: got an idea. Well why don't we do the show right here? Yeah! <laughs>
0: Another great line. Sorry we hurt your field, mister. Again, George getting all the great lines.
1: He does get all the best lines.
0: That whole can't buy me love scene is... Yeah, like you say, it, it was the... Pretty much that one scene was not only the inspiration for the monkeys, but I think it's pretty much the inspiration for music videos. Yes. It doesn't have narrative for the film over it. It's not a performance clip. It's just showing the band doing some stuff, some larking around set to music, and that that possibly is one of the first times that was ever done, just in that form way. particularly 60s music videos, yes, after that, the 60s promotional clips would be just the band in an outdoors location usually not running, most of them were just too tired, (laughs) most (laughs) of them just walked, the um, Whiter Shade of Pale promotional video is one of the most static music videos I've ever seen it's essentially just Procol Harum standing in a line looking doleful they look like they're posing for still photographs.
1: Maybe the uh, videographer was doing a toofa.
0: But apparently, the um, the battery was running down in the camera, which is why so it was under cranked, which is why it was actually sped up. And again, I don't know if that was a neat story or whether it's actually true. But yes, again, Richard Lester left the mistake in, and and like a whole style of doing it basically gave birth to the entire monkeys TV show. All the little music cutaways are they're all can't buy me love, really, aren't they?
1: In in one one to one another. extent or another, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, apparently, John isn't there for some of it. So, I've heard people say that, like, you can see the four figures, and one of them isn't John. One of them's a standing because John was doing promotional stuff for um, in his own right. his book. In his own right. I don't know if I entirely buy that. I think maybe in the long shots, it is John. But certainly, like, the bit where George says, Sorry, we hurt your field, mister. There's only three of them. And the bit where they're. The the closer up bits where they're jumping, but there are some where all four face the faces of all four are clearly visible. So John is definitely in the field for some of it.
1: I Can't remember sort of the being aware of the not being a John.
0: No, he's definitely there for some of it because there are close ups. But he's also yes, he's he's you don't notice, but yeah, he's not there when they get told off by the man in Wellington's. Uh, I also notice this this kind of bits of chariot and broken harp in the field as they go out into it. So it's it's clearly just old props have been dumped there from the T V studio. It's also one of my favourite gags that immediately before that, Norm says, I'm gonna lock you in your dressing room and you won't be able to leave till we need you for the show, to the for the run through. And in most films you get a whole bit where they're finding a way to pick the lock or climb through a window and or go through the air fence to escape or something like that. But even before they get into the room, no sooner as Norm said it that they immediately turn right go through the fire escape, and John says, we're out! So, so I love how instantaneous it is.
1: Anytime I have to leave any building through a fire exit. Uh, and I, this does happen quite a lot, because uh, I, that's sort of like the nearest exit to, to my car, so anytime I actually leave the building that I live in, I have to use the fire exit. Uh, I will always yell, we're out. Every single time. <laughs> Every single time I have left any
2: building through a fire exit since the age of 17. has—that
0: has bad What up? It's as bad as me with, you don't see many of these nowadays, do you? Like, it's a genuinely, if ever I see any kind of modern art, I always take a photograph, send it to Heather with the caption, you don't see many of these nowadays, do you?
1: <laughs> I can confirm that yeah. is 100% true. It does. And every single time I laugh.
0: Do you? So that's nice to know. I've only ever had one one laugh in person, and that was at, at work in the bookshop when there was some. I think they were Harry Potter merchandise. These weird, scary masks oh. that had just come into the shop in the children's department, and I was just walking past the children's department and I saw these masks. And I said, "Oh, you don't see many of those nowadays, do you?" And that got a laugh. Well then, but that's the only time it has got a laugh rather than just it being irritating for people. It's never
1: irritating.
0: The other great scene, of course. Is uh, the scene with John and Anna Quayle? Hello.
2: Hello. Oh wait a minute! Don't no, I'm not. Oh, you are. I'm not. Oh, you are. I know you are. I'm not now. You look just like him. Do I? You're the first one to said that ever. Yes, you do. Look. No, my eyes are lighter. All right, Noddy. Oh, my nose. Yes, your nose is very. Is it? Well, I would have said so. Oh, you know him better though. I do not. He's only a casual acquaintance. That's what so you say. What have you heard? It's all over the place. Is it? Is it really? Mm, I wouldn't have it. I stuck up for you. I knew I could rely on you. Thanks. You don't look like him at all. She looks more like him than I do.
0: Oh, yes. Which seems to confuse people people often find it a bit baffling it's like well she thinks
1: he's john and he's saying that he's not john and then she's like oh you're right you're not john you don't look like <laughs> him and then he's like how dare you
0: say i don't look like me <laughs> well i don't know if i don't know if she thinks he's john i think she thinks he looks like someone else oh From the first time i saw it actually i've always taken it as being a bit of a send-up of just the kind of the kind of sort of fluff that the theatrical lovey types will say to each other just sort of like small talk Oh, you look just like him, darling. It's yeah. I don't know if that's true, but that's kind of how I've taken it. But I, yeah, I I always read it as like she's she does think he looks like someone else. So maybe it is. But then he
1: points out his nose. Oh, yes, yeah, she knows his father.
0: She does look more like him than he does.
1: She does, really. Whoever he is.
0: Yes, it's a great odd, surreal. It's a surreal little scene. And Anna Quayle is great. She's great, yes.
1: She's in an episode of the cooler version of The Avengers which we have not done for retrotube yet um, but it's definitely one it's definitely one that we will watch because you will love her she her character her character is hilarious she's always just a joy to see on screen she's one of those one of those people who everything is better when you see Anna quail Anna quailing
0: <laughs> definitely so I'll come to another question do you have a favorite scene it
1: kind of, I think it kind of changes. I do, I do love, uh, I do love George teaching Shake how to shave, that's always good. There was, there was another scene I was just thinking about, just earlier on today, I can't remember it now, um, obviously the, um, the whole Susan Campy thing, our resident teenager, you've had to love her, she's your symbol.
0: She's a drag, a well-known drag.
1: You turn the sound down and say rude things.
0: I mean this is why I asked this question at this point because this is absolutely my favorite scene. It is it's, it's George's little solo outing with um, Kenneth High and
1: It's not even necessarily George although obviously it's George but it's just that it's just the way everything in that in that scene works that I really appreciate.
0: I think the dialogue particularly sings in this scene.
1: Oh, by all means, it would be quite prepared for that eventuality. The
0: first instance of the word grotty in general use?
1: Yes. Uh, it was apparently Including a translation, but...
0: Yeah. Yes, but, but the Beatles had never heard it before, so it's, it's just, according to Alan Owen, it was a, a in term, but they were unaware of it.
1: Well, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Don't breathe on me, Adrian.
1: <laughs> we... That is, that is one that we say a lot, and I don't know why.
0: The other one I use a lot is um, referring to Coca-Cola as Coca-Rama. Coca-Rama, yeah. Get him, a, get him a Coca-Rama or whatever it is they drink.
1: Yes. <laughs> Ta.
0: This is polite. The
1: old adenoidal glottal stop and
0: carry on. Is... <laughs> That's poetry, isn't it? The old adenoidal glottal stop will carry on. Yeah. can't even say it.
1: It's Yes, it, It's it's such a wonderful description. The
0: accent and that poses out, Sonny Jim. The in thing is to care passionately and be right wing, which
1: is such a juxtaposition of things to do,
0: <laughs> isn't it? And of course, you get a, immediately prior to that, you get a you get an optimal, a prime George. I don't care. It's
1: like the it is the
0: archetypal. I don't care.
1: The archetypal. I don't care. Absolutely, um, from which all other I don't cares. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like the way that all hamsters come from a, a breeding pair that were introduced in the sixties. All yes. George Harrison, I don't care, has come from uh, come from that, that, <laughs> a breeding that particular
1: pair. particular one. <laughs> yeah, it, it, but instead of the ha- but unlike the hamsters, it, it's it's capable of asexual re- reproduction, so it, it only needed that one. I don't care. Yeah, it's like a flower. Yes, he can talk.
2: No, well, I think you ought to see him. Yes, all right.
0: Come
2: on. Sorry. You don't see many of these nowadays, do you? Come on. Simon, will this do? Oh, not bad, darling, not really bad. Turn around, cheeky baby. Oh, yes, he's a definite boss. He'll look good alongside Susan. All right, Sammy Jim, this is all going to be quite painless. Don't breathe on me, Adrian. I'm terribly sorry, but there seems to be some sort of misunderstanding. Oh, well, you can come off it with us. You don't have to do all the old adenoidal gluttal stop and carry on for our benefit. I'm afraid I don't understand. Oh, my God, he's a natural. Well, I did tell them not to send us real ones. Well, you ought to know by now, the phonies are much easier to handle. Still, he's a good type. We'd like you to give us your opinion on some clothes for teenagers. Oh, by all means, I'd be quite prepared for that eventuality. Well, not your real opinion, naturally. It'll be written out and you'll learn it. Can he read? Of course I can. I mean lines, Ducky. Can you handle lines? Well, I'll have a bash. Good. Give him whatever it is they drink. A coca A guitar? Well, at least he's polite. Show him the shirts, Adrian. Now, you'll like these. You'll really dig them. That cab and all the other pimply hyperboles. I wouldn't be seen dead in them. The dead grotty. Grotty? Yeah, grotesque. Make a note of that word and give it to Susan. It's rather touching, really. Here's this kid trying to give me his utterly valueless opinion when I know for a fact that within a month he'll be suffering from a violent inferiority complex and loss of status because he isn't wearing one of these nasty things. Of course, they're grotty, you wretched knit. That's why they were designed, but that's what you'll want. I won't. You can be replaced, chicky baby. I don't care. That poses out too, Sonny Jim. The new thing is to care passionately and be right wing. Anyway, if you don't cooperate, you won't beat Susan. And who's this Susan when she's at home? Only Susan Campy, our resident teenager. You'll have to love her. She's your symbol. Oh, you mean that posh bird who gets everything wrong? I beg your pardon. Oh yeah, the lads frequently sit down the television and watch her for a giggle. In fact, once we all sat down, wrote these letters saying how gear she was and all that rubbish. She's a trendsetter. It's her profession. She's a drag, a well-known drag. We turn the sound down on her and
0: say rude things. Adrian, whose only real contribution is to is to whisper
2: it's It's George George Harrison
0: he's played by Julian Holloway he was a carry-on actor he's in all sorts of comedy films he seems like an extra in this but he's in a lot of stuff he has the distinction of appearing as a character in the very last ever of the original run of Doctor Who in 1989 he turns up playing a self-defence instructor oh wow there you go and he is the father of Sophie Dahl another line I use a lot I mean I think we both just use about half of the lines out of this film that's wrong, isn't it? Surely that's wrong.
1: <laughs> is that not just like your your perpetual thought?
0: It pretty much is. Yes, <laughs> he's great. Victor Spinetti's great in this. He is,
1: and like you can you can t- you can tell sort of the the rapport he's got with the Beatles. Like you can tell, there's there's genuine affection there.
0: Yes, he's the one out of this cast that they they really took to, and mm. obviously he turns up in two two more of their films and. I think John, in particular, was great mates with him.
1: I mean, everybody loves Victor Spinetti. He was a nice chap.
0: He does seem like a very nice fellow. I think what's interesting about this film, as well, is that it, it it's sort of playing against the usual archetype of these sorts of films, where it's like the generation gap cliche. So it's the band of kids, you know, Cliff Richard and Hank Marvin, and they're against, you know, the stuffy, uptight adults and it's sort of that but it's not really because, because they're all kind of like at work they're all yes they're all at work and it's actually mainly the old man who is causing all the stress
1: yeah it, it so it is kind of a generational thing but it's like it's like the the, the middle-aged and the youngsters against this absolutely completely out of control
0: little <laughs> <Yes>. irishman <laughs> because even though norm and the tv director are Frustrated by the Beatles. They're mostly frustrated because it's grandfather causing chaos.
1: Absolute chaos. Gr- grandfather's the one who causes the, the rift between Norm and Shake, who have never had an argument in their life.
0: He causes Ringo to desert and go off on a, a sulk.
1: I was only encouraging little Ringo to enjoy himself. No, you were not. <laughs> <laughs>
0: There's some great, uh, great direction. This when they're coming down the fire escape and the camera's looking up through the iron, the iron work of the fire escape, and it's.
1: Quite... Oh yeah, in fact, they, they do that. They going back to the monkeys. They do that exact same shot in um, an episode that we did watch on our episode of Retro Tube. Um, um, oh.
0: Monkeys in a ghost town. There's a great shot as well where grandfather is hiding under the stage, and. I think it's Norman Shake or Norman the TV director are looking for him but you see their shadows on the wall talking
1: very Errol and Basil Rathbone
0: yes and that's such a lovely shot it is there's some great work of Richard Lester the director and also Gilbert Taylor the cinematographer who's an absolute legend he did a lot of A lot of work around that time on many of my favourite films. So he was the cinematographer also on Doctor Strange's Love, which I think is another reason they seem like two sides of the same coin because they look very similar. Yeah. They both have that very contrasty black and white. Gil Taylor photography he did. Star Wars. Oh my goodness. There's pretty much three of my top favourite films. And it's all his fault. He might have done the Flash Gordon film as well in the 80s. I mean, I'm... I'm misremembering that he worked with Hitchcock. If you were going to be in Quantum Leap and going to go into someone's body for a bit, then like, yeah, Gilbert Taylor, you'll have a great old time. Well, you would do. I love seeing the old technology, the old mixing, the huge TV mixing desk that looks like they're from Soviet power plants.
1: Yes, I I loved the bit in that in that set where um, George drew uh, the glasses and moustache on Norm's face on the screen. For no apparent reason. In a kind of a, I'm just trying to soften the blow with the fact that, you know, the the headliners of of your show aren't going to appear as a four piece. Yeah. So I'm just going to draw some glasses and mustache on my manager (laughs) on the screen.
0: (laughs) Yes, uh, except he's making it worse, of course. Yes. Yes. You, you see, you'd think that would be a Lennon thing. But if if there's this antagonism and it's Lennon who's the disruptive one, you'd think it'd be Lennon that's doing the drawing of drawing on the monitors, but no, it's George. George no, is the mischief maker. He's the difficult one.
1: He is, but he, he does it so he does it so subtly. John is is the face of the mischief, but George is the secret, the brains of the outfit. He like he tells them all <laughs> what to do.
0: <laughs> he sends is. them all up. He's definitely the brains of the outfit
1: yeah that's right and then when everybody gets all found out and you know John gets angry and Paul feels guilty and Ringo looks all mournful George just turns around and goes I don't care <laughs> do
0: you think they couldn't find really a personality for Paul uh, obviously Paul has a very strong personality but in terms of like the, the writing of this particular script it's like John's the mischievous st- surreal one and Ringo's the doleful one and George's the uh, sarcastic one who doesn't care and paul's got a grandfather <laughs> Paul's <got> a
1: grandfather. <laughs> um i don't i don't know I, I i feel yeah because you would think that sort of if they were going to write a character for paul i think you you would expect him to be potentially like maybe the davy of the bath. yeah he doesn't
0: get much mccartney you know do. to
1: like have like a Flirting with people all over the place,
0: and yes, his 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 solo scene was cut out. They did shoot a scene with Wendy him.
1: Richard.
0: Is was it? Is that uh, was it? Was it was that was, no, I don't think it was Wendy Richard. I think she was in. She got cut out of Help, maybe. Oh, maybe so. It was someone else. It's another well-known actress, and I can't remember which one. He's like helping a young actress learn. Like he's giving her advice on acting, and I, I think they, they cut that out because it was decided that that wouldn't sit well that like this musician coming in, giving advice to an actress on acting, I think wisely they decided that was not, that would just seem a bit too much.
1: Also, having known in, in the course of my life an awful an awful lot of uh, Paul McCartney Beatle fans, uh, I, just don't, I just don't think anybody openly flirting with Paul on screen would have, uh, I, I, there the would have been riots, there would have been riots. <laughs> they would not have survived. Oh golly, oh they're a bit scary.
0: <laughs> I don't yeah. John Lennon ones are quite scary as well. For John roles. Lennon
1: John Lennon ones, they they're kind of more intensely scary. I used to have a friend who went out with a John in a Beatle tribute band. And even even more upsettingly for her, well not upsettingly obviously, I mean like this is ideal. Like she, she looked very much like Patty Boyd. So she looked like a Beatle wife. She was going out with A fake John, and he used to. Even though he was, it it wasn't even like a, you know, a famous Beatles tribute band. It was just a Beatles tribute band. (laughs) Just like there are millions of them in Chicago, and he was in one of them. And he used to get stalkers. He used to get people just like camping outside his house. Oh no! Like honestly, it was very. It was very very. He was a very nice man. Um, and and did not deserve it. Yeah, it was it was very, very, very strange. I mean, to be fair, he did look an awful lot like, like John. So
0: I think Richard Lester is a good actor's director. He always has the actors doing interesting things. There's a bit in the, the cafe scene with Ringo and... See, I want' not call him by his name, but he's another John. I like that as well. That's quite organic that they haven't given him a comedy Irish name. He's just called John McCartney. So he's the second John. Yeah. There's two Johns in the central central characters so that makes it feel quite organic but yes the bit with McCartney Senior and Ringo in the cafe and there's a lovely bit of business that I always just enjoy watching where they've got cups of tea but the sugar dispenser is empty so while uh, grandfather is pontificating at Ringo he's also walking around the cafe looking for sugar but by the time he gets back to his cup of tea it's been cleared away by the uh, waiter
1: yes Yes, I love that.
0: I love that bit. He, he looks at the where the tea used to be in at the dispenser, but but it's never acknowledged. No, he doesn't break break his stride in what he's saying, and he never comments on it. No. And it's, it it's, it's not like, they've taken away my tea, gosh darn it. It's, and it's presumably not in the script at all. It's just, it's it's either Richard Lester directing well or allowing his, his actors to, you know, work out these things in rehearsal and find something interesting to do.
1: I also like how specific he is in uh, the things that Ringo could be doing with his life. Giving a girl a pink edge, Daisy, specifically.
0: Embarrassing a Sheila with your cool appraising stare.
1: Sipping palm wine in Tahiti or betraying a rich American widow. I feel like there is isn't there is another backstory in which grandfather at some point in his life has trailed his coat, bowled along, given the girl a pink edged daisy, embarrassed her with his cool appraising stare, then gone and sipped palm wine in Tahiti and while betraying a rich American widow. Now that is, that is the film that
0: we need. And that, you're right, that is beautifully specific Betraying a rich American widow
1: Yes
0: <laughs> all, all the great things you can do in life Is betraying a, betray a woman, why not <laughs> <laughs> You'll feel I... alive
1: <laughs> Yes Or you can, you know, read like Read a book Read your book Like how dismissive And disparaging it is about the concept Of literacy is uh, yes. quite, quite astounding. <laughs> Would you look at him sitting there with his great big hosher scraping away against that boot? <laughs> poor Ringo's nose—it gets an awful lot of stick in this film. Yeah. I never even noticed his nose until about six months ago.
0: His, his poor little head quivering under the weight of it. Like wow, son! It's better. It's better than. Calm down. Stuff. I can't believe I said "calm down" twice. I
1: I said calm down twice. Oh, God, no! I am. Oh no! I'm such a stereotype. <laughs> Send help.
0: Here's the thing I've always wondered about: the bit where, like, they go outside to look for Ringo, but they they they've become a limited company. Yes. They so they have to separate, and George says, "I'll look again. I'll look in here again." Either that's purely just a throwaway line but I always read it as because George got distracted by that chorus girl moments before. <laughs> He's just gone back in for the girls. That's why that's how I've always read it.
1: Yes, I think that's I think that's exactly what happens.
0: I'll just go back in here where there's girls.
1: I'm I'm going to go back in here and, and giant inverted commas look for grandad. <laughs>
0: Uh, I think two things you wouldn't have Ringo do in a a film these days. One is a Nazi salute.
1: Absolutely not,
0: never. The other is shouting Southerner.
1: (laughs) 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 I don't know. I really loved that because it was very...
0: For context as well, I should say that he only does a Nazi salute because there are extras dressed as German soldiers in the cafe at the TV studio. Yes, not because of any... Yes. I I don't want to like I mean you wouldn't you wouldn't do it at all these days, but he's he's doing it within context of there being World War Two German soldiers extras dressed yes as, as such for the T V in the T V studio. So Friends, that's, that's, we that's can why say he does it.
1: Ringo Starr is not a Nazi. Where were we? Southerner. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's it's, it's I I would view that as a as a typical insult. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, the, the north-south divide is very much a thing. You see, probably these these days think that sort of like the, there's 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 less of it, less of it about. But I I, I don't know, I, particularly in Liverpool, we still don't like southerners very much. No,
0: uh, yeah, no, I'm sure it's there. I, I th- th- just think you wouldn't put it in a pop movie starring starring the the latest hot pop act. You wouldn't have Harry Styles going southerner. You might do. Not that he's the latest pop act, but I'm just old. <laughs> it's all I can think of. It's like you, what you Westlife, whoever's currently Westlife, top topping the hit parade. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Nobody's called it the hit parade. It's like 1956, <laughs> before it was invented. <laughs> you wouldn't, you definitely wouldn't see a policeman on a bicycle.
0: Nor would you have a policeman in a film calling someone a proper little aborigine.
1: Oh God, no! You would certainly never have that. In fact, to be fair, you wouldn't have a policeman following anybody about because, you know, you don't normally see policemen. You don't see many of these nowadays, do you? No. But
0: you don't
1: <laughs> you you wouldn't see a policeman just sort of like wandering about in general.
0: But I think that I think that one line, that's the one moment the film steps outside of its it's lovely little cozy nineteen sixty four bubble and goes, Oh yes. Mm. we still have these attitudes and these things that you just yeah. You know, yes, hi. We're we the sixties,
1: we're still
0: racist. Exactly, yes. It's like oh oh yes, it was quite racist in the sixties. So Ringo meets the, the, the kid who's also a deserter and he's got his his gang of three people so Ginger Eddie Fallon
1: and Ding Dong. Yes,
0: I don't think this is a commonly held thing, but I, I kind of think that he, his gang is... The, there's parallels between his gang and the Beatles because he describes them all. The kid, he's called Charlie. Mm. We know this because they shout, Charlie! So he's, he's Ringo, obviously, because they're, they're parallel because they meet each other. But he describes his friend. Uh, his friends are... Ginger. Ginger's mad. He says things all the time. So that's clearly John. John. Mm. Uh, Eddie's good at spitting and punching. That's George! George. Uh, Ding Dong <laughs> is a big head. He fancies himself. That's Paul. Paul. So... Yeah, so they match up perfectly. They really do. And, and Charlie's got a dirty face and likes yes. pushing a tyre around.
1: Yeah, that's not a move, that's a lethal weapon.
0: Yeah. <laughs> if they get you on the floor, watch out for your brisket. <laughs> they
1: seem all right to me. Poor Ringo. <laughs> Ringo, at a lot of points in this film, just genuinely is a person... Who is standing there while things are happening around him, and he's not hundred percent sure what or why? <laughs> there are moments where I feel Ringo doesn't even know if he's real. <laughs> yes.
0: Well, no, because uh, he says, "I'm Ringo," and they say, "Well, that's what they all say these days." <laughs> so he's he's had his oh, entire existence denied by the by the police.
1: No, it's like an actual
0: nightmare It's like Flow My Tears The Policeman Said The Philip K Dick novel It's exactly what's happening to Ringo now he's, He was famous, now he's not famous anymore it's a, night, it's a living nightmare
1: It's just a mechanic in a cloth cap He's like, I'm not even a mechanic
0: <laughs> Control yourself, you'll spurt The rudest
1: line in the film
0: <laughs> There's a whole scene played out But you're not seeing it You're seeing it through the TV monitor T V studio yeah. monitor. Oh when um which is a great bit of grandfather
1: comes back in and is
0: the camera's not pointing at them, it's pointing at the, the monitors Yeah. You know, seeing it so that's a really lovely bit of direction. It's just it's so visually interesting. I think it could have just been
1: There's so much constantly going on. You do you you do like miss things when every time you watch it and the, and there's there's always like a new little detail no matter how many times you've seen it, there's always Something new to enjoy every time
0: you see it. It took me ages to spot George knocking his amp over and looking sheepish. I only just noticed there's a line of dialogue I only heard, and it's probably the restoration I only heard on this last viewing the other day. Uh, just before the Beatles' return, Norm is ha- is very cheerily speaking to uh, a woman who's twice his height, and his line is, "I had to laugh even when they kicked the stool away."
1: How have you never heard I'd that? I've never heard before? that before.
0: I never had never heard it before. I can't believe you
2: never heard that. One.
0: <laughs> wow. That's yeah. a dark laugh. That's dark. It has these little dark moments, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. I think the TV director I don't think he has a name, but the T V director's line about get me a glass of milk and some tranquilizers, somebody told me that's possibly a reference to suicide. Yes. Which is the and the gag of um Of his assistant, the floor manager's just diligently writing down tranquilizers.
1: Yes, I think the the poor assistant had heard that a lot. Oh, speaking (laughs) of the assistant, a favourite scene that we haven't even mentioned yet. Not a favourite scene, but certainly a favourite sort of exchange. You leave them drums alone.
0: Oh, yes. (laughs) Ringo gets all unionised on him. (laughs)
1: How dare you?
0: You so much as breathe on them, you? I'm out on strike. Aren't
1: you being well rather tricky?
0: There you go, hiding behind a smoke screen of bourgeois cliches. I don't
1: go messing about with your earphones,
0: do I? <laughs> yeah, he's a good underrated character. We've met his brother when we were doing um, our RetroTube episode on Tales of the Unexpected. He was an extremely regular actor in it. I forget his name. Is it Robin? Robin Ray. His uh, brother Andrew Ray was a regular in. Tales of the Unexpected. He's he is Mister Tales of the Unexpected. Wow! It's sort of the first time I noticed Paul get hit in the face by a coat hanger. I don't think I remember
1: that. Isn't it? Isn't it great? Isn't it great though that like there's always little little bits like that that just get left in.
0: Yeah, he's talking, and he again he doesn't break his stride. He's delivering lines and they're taking their clothes off the racks to you know get dressed. And one of them swings back, and he sort of it clips him, and he has to sort of duck out of the way. But he doesn't. He doesn't. Yeah, you know, it doesn't interrupt him he's he's a trooper he's ploughing on regardless he's a professional do you have a favorite moment in the film because i think for me the bit that that i just really like and it's just a little few seconds is where the tv director after all the stress and all the anxiety and all the uptightness that he's gone through and he's he's you know he's at the, it's his wit's end but when the beatles are finally playing and then you cut to him and he's getting into the music yeah and he's enjoying it he's grooving along that's a lovely moment
1: that is nice i don't know i don't so much know as if i have a favourite moment because there's just there's just so many
0: i know there's a lot to choose from isn't there it, it it's just a series of great moments yeah you could pick from literally dozens it's full of details great lines great shot choices great angles great little acting choices bits of business
1: i think one one of my favourite moments is John uh, when they when they go from um, being in the teleview te, the teleview? the interview room with all of the all of the 500 billion people um, they escape and they go back to the theatre and grandfather's just finished his sandwich and all of that kind of thing and then they go onto the stage. I really look at this is like a really weird thing to love but you just see John and Paul running down the stairs together. And John is so excited, he's like, he's, he's like a puppy. Um <laughs> going, look, it's a bird. <laughs> and pointing to the bird on, on the woman's hat. Yes. But it's just it's just the way it's just the way you see them together and like how how close they are. And you can just I don't really know how to put it, but it's it's just
0: the camaraderie.
1: You just see, you can just see. It's almost palpable how much John really loves Paul in that particular moment, and how much he's loving life in that particular moment. And it's one of the, it's it's certainly one like the standout, even though it's just like, not even maybe as long as a second, that you that you see it. It's just one of the moments that just really stood out to me about not the Beatles, as a band particularly, but certainly about John and Paul as friends. You could just see it was really encapsulated, and I don't even know. It, John didn't say anything particularly. It was just, it was just the way he he was being with Paul. Like they just looked like two overgrown schoolboys going off to do some mischief, and it was just really. I think it's sort of a moment that you realise how real, although it's a fictionalised account of the, a day in the life. It, you can see, you can really see there how real the love between the Beatles was, and that's that's really I I think is the reason they were potentially more successful because every it wasn't a, a thing to buy into. It was
0: yes, it was genuine.
1: Their their, their relationships were they genuinely did have an awful lot of love for each
0: other. Actually one moment I wrote down which I forgot about, but it's very, very similar to that and I'm glad you reminded me of it. And it's it it takes place slightly before that. So it's at it's at the press conference Hmm. And they're, they're in that room and they're full of people. They all get separated and they're, it's full of people and they can't... Paul can't get a drink and none of them can get a sandwich because the tray of sandwiches always moves away too much and they're getting bothered by all these questions. And then they make eye contact with each other across the room. Yeah. And just sort of have this unspoken thing of like... Yeah, let's go. Glad should we get out of here? But that the idea of that camaraderie and that idea of being in a team, being in a group, an inseparable group where no one's left behind like all four of you we, you know it's us four so we have to yeah we'll just make eye contact with each other across the length of this crowded room past all these people and you know have this unspoken moment of right let's just be the four of us again they've they've had their moment with us now it's just the four of us and we'll go off and be the Beatles so yeah that's a similar thing I think of, of that, that sort of special bond and that special camaraderie that is was was magical I think that is like you say is what a, a thing that people really get into when they get into the Beatles and, yes I was listening to a podcast the other day about the Rolling Stones and how really out of them it's only Mick and Keith were actually friends and I think possibly that's why there there aren't Rolling Stones movies and fan fiction and you know people love the music and still in, you know enjoy listening to the rock and roll that they do but there isn't that same love for them as a unit and everyone likes Mick and Keith everyone finds them a bit endearing because they're so chalk and cheese the other three were people that came from various different sources and yeah were hired, and I think like Bill Wyman, they didn't even especially like, and I think Brian Jones they didn't especially like, but the Beatles it's like they're the gang, they're the guys, it's us four we're the mates, even George and Paul at this stage still liked each other. uh, we've already touched on a couple. Is there a bit or a moment or an element you could really do without
1: I mean aside from the the little moments that we've mentioned, I feel like the there was possibly a little bit too much grandfather in it. I could have done with less grandfather. Oh, no, hang on. No, John makes a joke that is extremely inappropriate that I would very much oh, not, yeah. Seen. When they're in the train and, the, and grandfather goes missing. Excuse me, have you seen that little old man we were with? broken
2: out, of uh, the blessed freedom of it all. Have you got a file? These handcuffs are killing me. I was named, I'm innocent, I don't want to go. Sorry for disturbing you girls I bet you can't guess what I was in
1: for <laughs> Broken arm, have less of freedom of at all Have you got a nail file in these? Handcuffs are killing me I'm innocent. Be afraid of me, I'm innocent and I don't want to go And then he says To a crowd of schoolgirls I bet you can't guess what I was in for <laughs> No John, no, no we don't make rape jokes and we don't make paedophile jokes. Not in a comedy film. Not in an anywhere.
0: They almost get. away, They sort of get away with it because it. He doesn't actually say, but it's definitely. It, it's definitely alluded to, isn't it? That uh, I'm a sex offender.
1: Yes, we don't Essentially make those is the
0: joke. jokes, yeah.
1: John Love. <laughs> uh, but and I think also potentially because he puts on such a such a thick accent. You can't really hear it the first few times to see it. So it, it may be that they kind of, nobody really heard it on, on initial viewing, but certainly on repeated viewings, I'm like, he, he just no,
0: John, no, no. I also think that's the kind of joke you could get away with then because it is so, it, it's it, it's so alluded to rather than actually said, but it doesn't leave much to the imagination. No, it
1: doesn't. But I read, no, it's, uh, it, it, Yeah, that that is certainly a moment that grosses me
0: out. Who wins your award for Outstanding Person in Front of the Camera? George. I'm saying George as well. George. And and for non-Beatles, I mean, most of the non-Beatle people are good, but I'm uh, Victor Spinetti.
1: I think my non-Beatle award would be Norman Rossiter. Not Rossiter. Yes. Norman. Norman. Norm. Norm. I think he he played it really well. And um, I've I've seen him in, in a few... And a few other things, and I just feel like Norm was certainly a moment where he peaked.
0: So my final question is, who wins your award for Outstanding Person Behind the Camera? I mean,
1: you know, Richard Lester was was, was pretty good behind the camera, but, you know, I don't... Yeah. I don't know, because I don't don't know enough about filmmaking or anything, so I would probably just say the tea lady, because, you know, (laughs) she had her work cut out and probably got no recognition for it, so... Well, keeping to the Beatles going.
0: The well, I'm saying Gilbert Taylor because his yes. stuff always looks gorgeous, and there will be times, uh, there will be other occasions on other episodes for me to nominate Richard Lester because I've got at least two more Richard Lester films. Oh well, done. on my list of ones to do. So this is our first, first of at least a trilogy. The Richard Lester trilogy. But probably not help. No, because it's it's not one of my favourites. But uh, it's entertaining. Uh, no.
1: I mean, it does have it does have one of your favourite gags in it. Yes. What
0: well, was it the first
2: that first attracted you to me? Well,
1: you're very polite, aren't you? I know, I, re- I remember us watching it, because it had been ages since you'd seen help and you were with me. We watched that and I thought you were going to have a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> Even the following day, you'd just sort of start giggling to yourself and be like, are you <laughs> all right? And you and you just go, what oh, was it that first attracted you to me?
0: I, I'd be like that man who died whilst watching The Goodies. Yes. I'd be him. That's a way to go. That is,
1: It is a way to go. Absolutely. Yes. As his wife said in the letter to the goodies, thank you very much for making his last moment so pleasant.
0: I remember a, a couple of years back on Twitter, Mark Hamill, somebody asked Mark Hamill what his favourite film was and he tweeted, it's a hard day's night. Nice. And I just was amused by all of the, uh, pretty much 95% of the replies were nerds going, not Star Wars. Like, why would it be Star Wars? <laughs> he was in Star Wars. Like... How much of an egomaniac would it would he have to be that his favorite film was Star Wars? I
1: know,
0: but I just thought they all genuinely thought his, he would say Star Wars was his favorite film.
1: How bizarre!
0: Yeah, it was quite funny. <laughs> just one of my favorite things to think about. I've probably told you this before. I saw Mark Hamill live uh, in Crouch End. He was interviewing Ray Davis for as a special charity live thing, and part way through the show, he said to the audience, "What do you think of it so far?" And spontaneously, at least 50% of the audience shouted back, Rubbish! (laughs) And poor Mark was baffled. (laughs) I felt a bit sorry for him. What do you think of a so art? (laughs) Rubbish! Right, well, we're probably both exhausted. Because we've been doing this for two and a half hours.
1: We have.
0: Well, thanks for joining me on this exciting adventure into a hard day's night. We finally got it out of our system. I don't think we have. I don't think we have either, have we? I,
1: I, I think it's going to just stay stay very happily in our systems forever. Thank you very much for having me in on your lovely new podcast. It's all very shiny and new.
0: And I'm sure we, we will get to more retro tubes soon.
1: I'm sure we will. We have plans.
0: Yes, yeah, thank you everyone for listening to Cardboard Cinema Club. It's still a tube production because I still haven't got around to making a dedicated Twitter account for it. Uh, one of these days if you'd like to get in touch I'm doing it now I've written it down so I can remember if you'd like to get in touch you can find both of us on Twitter at the RetroTube account at retro underscore tube mm-hmm. or email on retrotubepodcast at gmail.com and that goes to Heather where she will berate you mercilessly no, she won't she's lovely really she's not she just likes I don't care she just to be grumpy <laughs> yeah she doesn't care <laughs> she'll she'll berate you mercilessly for your attempt at a Liverpool accent.
1: Yes, I will. Yes, I will.
0: Uh, I'll be back soon with more guests and more filmy chat. But in the meantime, cheerio. That was wonderful. Thank you so. Much. This is Adam S. Leslie, co-host of this very podcast. My folk horror novel, Lost in the Garden, is now out and available in all good bookshops, including Blackwells and Waterstones. Don't talk to strangers, don't play on the farm, and don't go to Almonby. Heather's on-off boyfriend Stephen has gone to the mysterious village of Almonby. He went for two weeks, and no one has seen him in six months. The only trace of him which remains is his voice, distantly calling for help, drifting across the fizz of shortwave radio. With a couple of friends in tow, Heather sets off through a warped, distended version of the English countryside, baking in perpetual summer, to track Stephen down, and to find out for herself why everyone says, don't go to Almondby. Author Eric LaRocca called Lost in the Garden, eerily enchanting and profoundly inventive, a dreamy and unsettling masterwork. This is one of the freshest and most spiritually rewarding novels I've read in quite some time. And author Matt Wozolowski described it as like trying to recall a troubling and beautiful dream. It's like peering through a wound in the world, sorrowful and uncanny and utterly stunning. This book is magnificent, like nothing I've ever read before. Thank you, Matt and Eric. Lost in the Garden by Adam S. Leslie, published by Denink Books, priced at 10 99 Look for the pink and white cover.